When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Mass Live's new Red Sox podcast, and I'm the host of the show, Chris Cotillo. Excited to be joined by one of the newest members of the Red Sox organization. We have Colin McHugh on the show. Colin, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to hang out for a little bit. Yeah, no problem. We're uh, we're all in quarantine in our different areas of the country and world, and so got the kids to sleep, ready to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I guess a great place to start. I mean, we are all basically sitting home doing nothing. I think, you know, it's a time where healthy lifestyles are probably uh, going to being thrown out the window a little bit. So being a guy who is not just preparing for a season, but also trying to rehab from uh, an arm injury and trying to build up. I mean, how are you possibly doing this in uh, these types of circumstances? You know, baseball players are nothing if not adaptable. So I, I like to believe that um, this this quarantine time is actually um, we're probably be- better prepared for this than most. I'm I've got a net in my backyard. I've got about 80 feet of runway, so um, enough to really like get a crow hop and let it eat. And uh, pray to God that I don't airmail one into the house behind me. But um, yeah, little not even a not even a home gym. I would I would not even uh, not even call it that. A couple stretch bands and a couple dumbbells and. You know, I'm a pitcher. I'm not a bodybuilder, so I don't need a ton. So, are you throwing at this point? Yeah, yeah. We've uh, we're we're a few weeks into um, about a, I guess about a month into th- my throwing program. Um, trying to work my way back from um, from that elbow injury. So, uh, we, we feel pretty good with the progress we're making. You know, mm-hmm. I'm staying in daily contact with the team and with the trainers and the coaching staff, and um, trying to make sure we're all on the same page. So when you signed, I think it was March 5th, it was, I think, exactly one week before camp was shut down. So not only do you have a long off season where, you know, you're waiting to sign with the team and, and undergoing the 10X procedure, that was December, right? Yeah, yeah, it was mid-December. So go, going through all that, and you finally get to a team, you're in camp for a week, I guess, probably starting to get to know the guys, and then everybody's dispersed again. So, I mean, what, what was that week like? And how did it feel when camp was shut down and all of a sudden you were back home and uh, your your very abbreviated spring was already done? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty strange. Uh, it was a pretty odd place to be um, as a guy who had been with one organization for six years. Right. You get used to the way things work. You know, you get used to a place, you get used to the people and um I was a little bummed that we didn't get uh, didn't get something worked out quicker in the off season so that I could get into camp initially because that's a huge part of baseball for me is getting to know the the guys that I'm playing with, getting to know the coaching coaching staff and the support staff in the front office. It really does make your job as a baseball player more uh, more holistic. I feel like it, it lets you buy in more. So I'm I was ready to hit the ground running because I knew I was getting a little bit of a late start. Um, and then coronavirus hit and kind of shut everything down. So, um, I'm still staying in touch with, with quite a few of the guys. I was just talking with Ovaldi today and talked with sale the other day. Um, just trying to 
continue to build relationships, um, which is which is a huge part of this for me. What, I mean, who are the guys on the team that I guess you knew before? I know you obviously knew Alex Cora from the year he spent in Houston. He's not there anymore. So do you have uh, any friends on the team coming in? Uh, I had played with and against um, – or I, sh- I should say I played against pretty much everybody on the team. And then, yep. you know, the funnel in baseball is really small when you get to this level. So – you're really no more than two degrees of separation away from anybody in mm. the league. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm really good friends with George Springer and George and, and Barnsey are best friends. So right. got to know him pretty quickly. Um, Ovaldi is a Texas guy. So I knew him a little bit through his work with Brent Strom and, you know, his work with uh, with Heim from Tampa. So getting to know both of them kind of on that level. Um was important and everybody just kind of comes with uh with built-in resumes you know baseball is a game where you know your most important um intangible is is your reputation and a lot of these guys sale included come with uh sterling repu- rep- uh excuse me reputations as ball players as clubhouse guys and and i was excited to get in and uh and be able to kind of share my part of that and and be a, be around them in that scenario when you first signed, you talked about your your introductory press conference, talked about, you know, just the allure of the organization being as historic as it was and in four world championships since you know, 2004, everything that comes with that. I mean, what was the process like for you over the winter? I know you said that you did at times want to go back to Houston, but once the Red Sox became a legitimate opportunity, uh, how easy was it to make the decision to come to town? Uh, you know, nothing was easy. Nothing was easy about the entire off season, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, starting off from kind of behind, playing from behind as far as an injury goes, mm-hmm. uh, it's not the way you want it, and it's not the way you want your uh, your free agency to start. And so for me, that kind of cut a lot of options that we had, uh, cut them away right at the beginning. Um, and then as I started to rehab and, and kind of regain strength and get a clearer runway of, of where I was going to be headed. Um, come this season, we had a lot more interest and a lot more interest started to kind of snowball really quickly towards the end. Um, and so for me, it was important. I wanted to get into camp. I didn't want to wait a whole, wait around a whole lot longer. Um, and when we kind of realized that our best offers out there, were going to be down between a few teams, actually quite a few teams in the AL East and then um, a couple teams in the NL. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in the A, like to be in the AL. I wanted to be in the East if I could be. My family's in Atlanta. Uh, it makes travel a little bit easier. Yep. And it's hard to pass up a team like Boston. It's hard to pass up a franchise like Boston when, um, you know, when they're putting a really competitive offer out there. So I think this is, you know, when, when Sale first was going down and there was concern he was going or having the MRI and kind of looked at the state of the Red Sox pitching staff. He, I saw fans and media types and everything saying, well, Colin's out there. Why don't they sign him? And it's rare that you see like there's that obvious need and everybody puts the pieces together. It's rare that it actually happens. Um, did you feel like once sale was hurt, that kind of was a turning point? Not necessarily. I actually didn't know that he was hurt until um, I was going to get my physical done with the team. And I actually ran into him at the doctor's wow. office and we, we, <laughs> we chatted for a while and he was kind of telling me I, I knew he had had the pneumonia, um, but yeah. that's all I knew. I didn't know anything else about it. So uh, we kind of chit chatted a little bit and got to got to know each other for a minute at the doctor's office, which is a strange place to begin your relationship. Yeah. But um, yeah, for for me, it, it really at the, at that point in time when I was about to sign there were probably a dozen teams that had had some sort of injury to their pitching staff and had some sort of need for, you know, 
me specifically having experience as a starter and a reliever, um, I think, which, which opened up a lot of doors. And I think, I think where I am now with Boston, with this team, I'm kind of uniquely suited to be able to do maybe some of both or maybe a, a yeah. hybrid type thing, especially mm-hmm. with Heim coming from Tampa and, and having that experience. So if you obviously nobody knows anything about what the season is going to look like or what spring training or training camp, whatever they're going to call it's going to look like. Do you feel like, let's say you have a three, four week ramp up. Is that going to be enough time for you? Or are you going to be, um, are you going to be able to go through your progression enough at home? I mean, it's so, it's so hard to even ask the question because we don't know when any of that's going to be. Yeah. There are a lot of variables at play here. Um, and, and one of the things that we're dealing with is, if we do decide that a start of a season is going to be on X date, then yeah. how many how many weeks of lead up do we need? How many games do we need to be able to start playing competitive Major League Baseball games that count uh, towards a playoff and a championship season? Um, I've heard a couple different things. You know, I've heard upwards of three weeks. I've heard as little as a week and a half. I think it'll probably land in between somewhere. Um, if you you know if we look back at ninety five, which is kind of a um, a good place to start for us because it was a shortened season due to the strike in 94. They got started a little bit late and they gave, uh, they gave the guys 21 days. So they gave them three weeks, mm-hmm. um, to get ready for a, for a season that I think started in late April that year. So I think as precedent, that probably makes sense for us. I think a right. lot of us are staying in as best shape as we can. Um, you know, I, I see guys posting videos all the time of them throwing bullpens and then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I said, we have, we have kind of our off season set up, um, no matter where we are in our home. And so we're baseball players. We don't really don't need a more than a net and maybe a catcher, uh, you know, depending on if you're a, a hitter or if you're a pitcher to really get your work in. Uh, it's not the most ideal situation, but right. guys know how to do it. So I, th- I think we're going to be okay. I think there's, there's obviously been a ton of scenarios put out there. We talked to Alex Verdugo on a conference call yesterday and he said he, he's kind of 50, 50 cause he wants to make sure it's completely safe to do this to go forward and you know obviously baseball players aren't going to be in the most at risk group for this thing but there's a lot of people that travel that probably are so i guess in the in the in your mind in the mind of a player what where is the line for you between trying to push it and trying to get the game back with everything that's at stake and all the money and and trying to make sure everybody's safe you know i'm probably in the minority here um because i I see baseball for what it is, which is an amazing game, but it's not an essential activity. You know, yeah. it really we've got a lot of things going on in this world that we need to happen and we need to get going and, and we need to do it in a safe manner. And it's going to be really hard to get the risk level down to zero, no matter what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as this virus is still out there and as long as we don't have a treatment or vaccine, there's going to be there's going to be risk inherent in leaving your house. Um, and so for me as a major league baseball player, as a husband, as a father, I want to make sure that I'm protecting myself, protecting my family, um, first and foremost. And I think that's going to ultimately come down to a few things. Number one, it's going to be testing, making sure that we have access to consistent, accurate, um, testing, you know, maybe as often as twice a week, if we're going to end up playing and trying to create this kind of major league bubble, um, to keep guys under, it's going to have to be rigorous and it's going to have to be consistent. And um, I know that MLB is working on that on their side. I know that the Players Association has uh, has a lot of say in, in what what ends up happening here as well. So I think you know where I, I was on the was on a conference call the other day with uh, with some guys from the PA and 
um, trying to think through some situations and talk to some experts in the field of, of epidemiology and figure out what where we're going to go and what it's going to take for us to open up this game. And like you said, there's a lot of things that don't make uh, don't make a lot of sense for, for starting up a baseball season right now, yeah. uh, especially with everything else that's still yet to be yet to be opened up. But I feel confident. I feel I feel pretty confident that we're going to get baseball in this year, competitive baseball. What that's going to look like is is still yet to be seen. And I think as a fan myself, I want to keep an open mind as to what mm-hmm. that can look like. You know, I think we could probably take this as a as a chance to do some experimenting and to see what realignment looks like or see what a shortened season or an extended playoffs or whatever you want to say looks like and, and uh, maybe make some good out of this. Do you think there's a, a world in which whatever the season looks like, there's players who just say, no, I'm not doing it. I'm staying home and I'm, I'm not leaving my family if, if this is still going on. You know, that's a sincere possibility. Um, you know, we've got, like I said, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father and, yeah. and there are many guys in the league with underlying conditions, um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with preexisting conditions that guys with diabetes guys with, with heart arrhythmias, you know, yeah. uh, you look at our coaching staffs, there's tons of guys over 65, the umpires, mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys over 65. So when you're talking about the risk factors here, um, you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be some guys who have to, are going to sincerely have to weigh the risks of what it's going to take for me to come back versus staying at home. And we're in a situation right now where you can't make this mandatory. You know, you can't tell a guy you have to come play or else your roster spot's not going to be here when you want to come back. You you can't you, you know you can't yeah. tell a guy to risk his life and the life of his family and the life of uh, you know anybody who he chooses to be around to come play this game. And so um, there's probably going to have to be some waivers signed and whatever else you need to have done to make guys feel comfortable coming back. And then you know MLB and and the teams are going to have to do everything in their power to make sure that we. Uh, we go about this the best way possible and don't just start playing games, but really set an example of how to do this and how to do this well and how to do this safely. Could you see, you know, do you think your bar for going and playing is going to be higher than most guys when you make that consideration? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt, you know, for me, I want to make sure that I want to make sure that we are, not just doing right by ourselves and by our fans, but doing right by the rest of the country and for the, by the rest of the world, for that matter, we have fans all over the world who are looking to looking at us and looking, looking to us to play a game for their entertainment, but do it responsibly. And, you know, we're seeing what's happening in Korea right now, Mm -hmm. um, how they've been able to open up the game and start playing baseball. And I think we're going to take a lot of cues from them. Um, but our situation is going to be different. It's going to be, it's, uh, the, epidemic or the pandemic in our country is different than it was and different than, um, than they contained it in, in, uh, South Korea. So for us, it's going to look like taking on probably a little bit more risk to make these games happen. And for me, um, I just don't think we're there yet. Uh, it's, I think at this point, no longer the most likely plan, but the Arizona plan and everything that was talked about with that huge backlash from a lot of guys that did not want to quarantine away from their family for months at a time safe to say that you would not be up for that yeah that was a non-starter for me yeah and do you think that's something that was shared by the majority of players it's hard to say um i don't think anybody took a a real poll there yeah but i I think mlb kind of leaked it as a 
focus group, if you will, <laughs> via so, via yeah. social uh, social media, and you know the response they got was um, uh, it was pretty undeniable. I think that guys were not interested in coming back in a situation in which their lives are having to turn upside down once again in order to play a game that really is not essential right now. There there are more things that we need to get done before we can play a baseball game. Uh, when you and obviously you being in on these calls and and talking to guys at this point, I think Tony Clark came out today and said nothing formal, no formal proposals even. But when you look at it, is there a scenario that you think is most likely? I mean, whether that be in home ballparks or you know, the Florida, Texas, Arizona plan or any of those stick out as what you think is most likely. I think that. You know, and this is just my opinion, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that MLB is probably trying with everything they can to get baseball played in these home cities. Yeah, um, I think that that makes the most sense for them in terms of logistics. They know what that looks like. They're not having to, you know, start from the whiteboard at step one. Um, but there's going to be cities that just aren't able to do that. You know, New mm-hmm. York City is not going to be able to do that. Boston, to an extent, is not going to be able to do that. Uh, Seattle, San Francisco. So those clubs are going to have to look at different options of how to play baseball games uh, in stadiums that aren't necessarily their home stadiums for a large portion of the season. Um, but there, there are some cities that I think will will probably be able to play baseball games in their home state. And I think, I think that's good for baseball. I think it's good for uh, even if fans aren't there, just having baseball in the city, having guys be able to go to their homes um, and, and stay at their place. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest with you, what the best case or most likely scenario is. But yeah. um, I do. Once again, I feel confident that we will be playing some competitive baseball at some point this year. You're in Georgia, which I guess has become the poster child for opening up. Um, uh, I guess what's your reaction to that? And uh, does that change the way you're going about things at all? No, I think it's too early to open up the state. Uh, you yeah. know, I live in Atlanta. I live downtown. I've got friends in the, in the medical, um, in the healthcare, um, you know, world. And I, I've got, ha, I've got stories that I'm hearing about ICUs here in, in Atlanta, you know, filled to capacity and wings being opened up in the, in, you know, in the dome downtown. And, you know, I just doesn't seem like we're in a situation where we can go back to any sort of normal, um, as much as we all want to, and as much as we all want this to be over and be able to get back to our lives, the truth is we all carry some responsibility here. And for me and for my family, my responsibility is to stay where I stay put where I can, um, limit, limit how many people I see, limit how far I go away from my house and, uh, and play my part. And to be honest, that's what we're doing. That's what I feel like we're still at. Um, our, our mayor feels the same way here in Atlanta, even if our governor Mm -hmm. feels differently. So, uh, I think a lot of people are um, are taking this opportunity to be responsible, to show good citizenship and say, like, I'm looking out for the guy next to me and and not necessarily looking out for myself, which is hard for a lot of these small businesses staying closed yeah. every day. You know, they're you know, obviously these baseball clubs are losing money, but every small business, my wife's a small business owner and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, her not being able to open her shop is it, it's it's costly on a lot of different levels. And so. Um, there are sacrifices that have to be made, and and people are people are stepping up and um, kind of footing the bill where where the government is is not. Right. This is you know pivoting for a sec, just off off topic of what we're talking about. But you are, I think, 
when you look at players and even before you came to Boston, I kind of had the idea that you were an active social media guy. Um, you do, you have a podcast, you you have blogged in the past. I think you could kind of bring a unique, very public open, uh, way of connecting with fans now there's a lot of guys both in boston and elsewhere that i mean don't do that they like to not have social media try to drown it out um both you and your wife are very active on social media uh why is that important to you and and why is that kind of the path that you went down well i haven't always been like that um you know i i know i know what it's like to i was a rookie in new york and i had some uh i had some social media faux pas and yeah. kind of shut it down for a while because you know sometimes the the risk is just not worth the reward uh in social media and a lot of guys a lot of guys are like i don't need this i don't need this distraction in my life i don't need this this noise and that's fine nobody i don't think guys should even professional baseball players or professional athletes should be forced to to delve into this space if they don't feel comfortable um, because you are exposing yourself to a lot and you're exposing your beliefs and um, and really you're putting on your your social skills and that can come back to bite you in a lot of ways but I think for me I'm not going to speak for my wife necessarily but for me you know having this having a platform and you know being a being a person with some some values I, I find it as a good outlet to be able to share those. Um, and really you, you get some feedback that's positive and some feedback that's negative. But for me, being able to kind of take in a lot of opinions and take in a lot of information makes me a more well-rounded human being. Uh, I think it makes me a, a better dad and a better husband in a lot of ways to know that I'm responsible for what I put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't just say whatever I want, whatever I want, but it, it, there is going to be some sort of, uh, accountability, on that, on that front. And, you know, for me, I think that there's a lot to gain from, uh, from public personalities who are trying to be authentic. Uh, I think we're missing that in a lot of, uh, in a lot of public life. And, you know, my goal is to bring a little bit of that to, to kind of the baseball world. I think, you know, we've seen time and time again, that stigma of Boston dealing with Red Sox fans on social media. It may seem like it's an over-exaggeration, but there's recent examples of, kind of the whole thing eating guys alive and, and them going crazy i mean is that obviously you played in new york and you're on a team that has been in the spotlight for the last few years and in, in houston um is that something that you're excited to see how that transpires in terms of what red sox fans are going to be like on social media is it something that concerns you especially you know with your wife being on twitter and that kind of thing no she's a she's a grown-up <laughs> she, uh, she can handle herself. I promise you that. Yeah. Um, but for me, you know, it's part of the, it's part of the gig. You know, you're going to get, you're going to get some flack when you put, don't play well. You're going to get some, some praise when you do, and you can't get too high and you can't get too low. Um, as far as the things that come out of your mouth, you control that, you yeah. know, you control the things that you put out there. And, uh, for me, I want to put things out there that I'm proud of. I want to say things that I'm, I'm not afraid of, uh, I'm not afraid to say to, to you, not afraid to say to my mom, not afraid to say mm-hmm. to, to people that I care about. And, um, you know, you, you hope that the people who are following you, the people who are, um, responding and reacting, uh, are reacting out of that same, 
um, out of that same place. And it's not always the case. You know, you're always going to get your, uh, you know, your people who are just trying to kind of troll you and you got to be able to kind of filter that stuff out as right. necessary. But I don't know for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to having fun with it. Boston fans. I've played here a bunch of times. They've always been hard, but great. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I expect nothing less. And you know, I just personally launched this podcast and I know it's hard even to find time to do that with normal writing responsibilities. So for you being a major league pitcher, you have your own podcast at 12, six, what went into wanting to do that? And uh, why is that a side passion of yours? Yeah, I started the 12, six podcast a couple years ago. Um, just cause I realized there's kind of a, I was actually listening to JJ Reddick's podcast, uh, on the ringer. He's been doing it for a few years in the basketball world and it's mm-hmm. kind of branched out a little bit into more pop culture, but his initial shows were really just him and some of his teammates or some of the guys that he's played against just honestly talking shop, talking basketball, talking life. Um, and it felt so normal and felt so natural. And you just don't really get that a bunch when you're, yeah you're on the other side of the, when you're on the other side of the equation, you're looking in and seeing kind of canned responses and canned answers and the questions that have been asked over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So for me, I realized like some of the most incredible personalities that I've ever met in my life are in baseball. And I I think they get overlooked in a lot of ways and kind of get watered down. Um, because yeah, the answers that guys give on camera to people who aren't in a locker room with them every day or who don't do what they do can seem pretty vanilla. And and these guys just aren't, they're not vanilla in any way. Mm. So my goal was to just sit down and have a conversation, baseball person to baseball person. Um, and see what comes out. And I've been really pleased with, uh, with the content that we've been able to, to get and some of the guys, some of the amazing guests that we've been able to have. And they've kind of opened up and, and talked about their lives. And it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun for me. I hope to continue to do it. Uh, I always tell people when they say, how often are you going to do it? How, how often are you going to put out episodes? I say, whenever I have content, I'm going to put it out there. I promise you. I'm not yeah. going to hold it back. <laughs> so uh, during the season, it's a little tougher. Um, I'm trying to take this time in quarantine to mm-hmm. – uh, take advantage of it and, and get some get some interviews in with guys that I might not otherwise be able to see in person. So uh, it's been fun and I'm enjoying it. And it's I don't know what I'm going to do when my career is over, but this has been a fun uh, kind of segue into something that I could possibly be interested in doing later on. I think I saw during a Twitter takeover you did with the Red Sox that David Ortiz is a guy that you've uh, wanted to have as a guest for a while. I think that that pathway might be a little bit easier now for you. I would kill, man. I would kill to have Poppy on there. He's he's been a uh, he's been one of my favorite players to watch and then personalities to watch now. Now that he's not playing anymore, uh, seeing him on the broadcast and seeing him, you know, giving a Rod a hard time on the broadcast and and Frank Thomas. It's it's so much fun for me because I like I said I'm a baseball fan at heart and so yeah. these guys who have personalities that are kind of larger than life. Um, and having the access that I have to them now is I just know that that's not always going to be the case. So I want to take mm-hmm. advantage of it again. Well, we are glad that we were able to take advantage of uh, some access to you. So thank you so much for hopping on. And we hope we'll see you on a mound, whether that's at Fenway or in Arizona or the moon or wherever the baseball is <laughs> and, uh, ends up being played this year. So thanks, Colin. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate it, man.